Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. When was the last time that you did something that was familiar, but you did it in a different way? Maybe it was going to work as normal, but you went by a different route. Uh, perhaps it was having pizza for, din- for dinner, but you decided to cook it yourself rather than order it. Um, maybe it was walking to school instead of having your parents drive you there, or uh, playing Minecraft on your Switch instead of a desktop, perhaps. Whatever you might try, I think you, when we experience it in a different way, it gives us a different understanding of it, such as walking to school somehow is uphill both ways, and you really appreciate when your parents drive you. And maybe... Whatever it is, you might find a deeper appreciation appreciation of it as well. For me, this normal thing in a new way was having my first Christmas in California with Janelle's family. We've gone before Christmas and after Christmas since we've been married, but this was actually the first year we're there on December 25th. And when you have a close relationship with someone uh, outside your immediate family, be that a spouse or a significant other or a deep friend, you realize that the ways you've been doing things since you were born are not necessarily the only way to do things. And so as you, ex- as you would expect, this Christmas, things were similar and things were different. There were still uh, presents wrapped and stockings stuffed and good food and time with family and lots of cookies. And somehow, by a miracle, my father-in-law made delicious vegan cookies for me. And yet Christmas was also different. I grew up with a lot of siblings, and we lived far from my extended family, and so our holidays would always just be us together alone as an immediate family. Janelle, on the other hand, has just one sibling and lives close to her extended family, and so gatherings for her involve anyone who is related to her. Um, Janelle is also a way better friend than I am, and so Christmas would also be checking in with friends as well. And so this Christmas, it was still the same holiday, but it was one with a different flavor. A good flavor, but different. And now, I think, I understand Christmas a little differently now. And so on that note, there's something that I've been wanting to do for a while on a Sunday morning. It's a practice that gives a different flavor to our normal traditions surrounding the Bible. And today, Josh is not in the room. <laughs> Sorry, he's in the building, and I, prom- I, I got permission for this, so don't worry. Um, specifically, what I want to explore this morning is a different practice of reading the Bible. So first, a confession. My original interest in reading the Bible was purely greed. When I was in middle school, or somewhere around there, my parents came to me with a uh, proposition Sky, if you read through the entire Bible, all 66 books of it, we will give you $20. Now, I was not a savvy businessman, nor (laughs) did I understand how long it would take to read 66 books of the Bible. Um, And strangely enough, I kept doing it year after year, though in high school, I did get them to up it to $25. So I, I never made much money off of it. Um, however, I ended, up, I ended up going to a Bible college, and my parents paid for quite a bit of that, so I guess I won in the end. It just took me a while to get there. So anyhow, 
Growing up, or in my tradition, reading the Bible looked like this. I would read four or so chapters silently and by myself in the mornings every day if I was particularly awesome that week. And to be honest, that is still how I tend to read the Bible outside of study. But each of these aspects, reading in small chunks and silently and by myself, are actually very different from how early Christians would have encountered the Bible. So I am not planning to change my habits, nor am I going to tell you to change yours this morning. But I do wonder that maybe there's something to be gained by experiencing just once in a while how the Bible was first read by the communities of Jesus 2,000 years ago. As in, we're going to do something that's normal, reading the Bible, we're, we're going to try and do it differently. So how were the old traditions different than our tra general tradition of reading silently in chunks and on our own today? Now, one of the strangest things that I have heard about the ancient world, and this was specifically within Roman life, was that they almost never read anything silently. Every word, when read, was likely spoken aloud. And so anytime you watch a historical epic on Rome, and Gladiator is the only one I can think of, but an important message is delivered to someone, they would actually probably start mumbling it out loud. Um, which seems weird, especially if that message was supposed to be secret, but I guess you just order everyone out. Now, I'm not exactly sure when people stopped primarily reading written things out loud. That is a trail for me to follow when I need a bit more joy in my life. But one thing is certain, though. For the first several centuries of the church, the Bible was likely never read silently or assumed that it would be read in silence. And so the first way that ancient Christians read the Bible differently was that it was often probably read out loud. At least within the Greco-Roman world, language was understood as speaking and hearing. And so written communication and whatnot was just a convenient way of trapping the sounds to be later heard by a listener. And I think that there's actually something we miss when we don't hear scripture spoken. Again, don't get me wrong, I'm going to read all my books quietly. But if you've ever taken an English course in high school or college, and you're introduced to a guy named Shakespeare, you've probably been told by your teacher or professor that if you want to understand what the heck is happening in this thing, you actually have to have it read out loud to you. Because Shakespeare wrote his plays to be performed, not read in silence, strangely enough, and it's only when they're performed that we actually can grasp the fullness of it. And so I wonder, again, I wonder if there's something similar going on with the Bible that maybe when we just read it silently, we actually lose something. So that's the first one. Secondly, and I am predominantly thinking of the various letters in the New Testament, a book of the Bible was also read as a whole. There was no idea of a verse a day keeps the devil away or whatnot. And sometimes it is easy for us to forget that the Bible was written by real people to real communities facing real challenges. That is not a textbook, nor a manual for life, or a rule book, or one full of nonsense words like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, um, or is it magical incantations that help us control God? That predominantly the Bible, while being for us, as in God is still speaking through it to us today, is a collection of correspondence between prophets and apostles to the communities that they care for. So a dumb example. Say Janelle goes on a journey far away. 
uh, Janelle's my wife. And she writes me a letter. When I open it, I'm not just going to read it a couple words or a line or a paragraph at a time, stop, contemplate it for a day, and then return to it the next day. Um, I'm going to read it as a whole, at least the first time, because that's how you read a normal letter. And then I might go back and puzzle over the words she chose or the things she talked about versus the things she didn't talk about. Though now I would just text her and ask why she didn't FaceTime me instead. Um, But again, scripture was often, way back then, and particularly the New Testament, was read out loud and as a whole. Now, the last difference that I have been contemplating is that scripture was also very rarely read alone. And so what would happen is that you would be gathered with your house church during your weekly gathering on the Lord's Day, and you would have a meal together, which was weirdly called the love feast, and someone would have a message to share. There'd be singing and prayer and the identifying of needs within your community. But one week, the leader of your house church announces that a messenger has come, maybe from Corinth, from Brother Paul, probably in response to a letter your group sent him with various questions or, um, or issues you're facing as a church. And this messenger would be someone you would know or recognize, or at the very least, they would have another letter from Paul um, declaring that he trusted him or her. But this messenger would also have been instructed by Paul on how to read this letter out loud to you, as well as how to answer any questions that might come up with the letter. And so after your love feast, the messenger would stand and read aloud Paul's letter to you. Again, in its entirety, because it is a letter from a guy you know writing about things that are important to what's happening in your community. And afterwards, your house church would discuss what Paul had written to you, ask questions of the messenger, and then begin crafting a reply. And at some point, this letter would be carefully copied, and then it would be sent to another house church, perhaps in a different city, for another messenger to read to them so that they could learn. And this is actually something Paul, at times, will even instruct churches to do. But all of this would be done together, for the Bible was often read in community. It was engaged in community, studied in community, absorbed in community, and lived out in community. So those are the three. Now, again, I am not going to change my reading habits. I like being alone and by myself, (laughs) very least, especially with God and, and the Bible. However, I think that there's something that we can gain from sometimes reading the Bible out loud, as a whole, and in community. And today, that is something we're actually going to try to practice. Now, don't be too alarmed. Your job is just going to be to sit and listen as if you were there several thousand years ago to absorb this letter that churches for in thousands of years have carefully copied and passed around from Brother Paul to help us know how to live with God and each other. That letter is today called Ephesians, though it was likely written to churches in the region of Ephesus and Laodicea and passed around amongst them. And the reason that we're going to be reading Ephesians is because to start off this year, we're going to be in a series on what Paul calls the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. So reading through Ephesians today will hopefully give us a little more context for where we're going to be going. Now, before we actually read through this letter, let's catch up a bit on this church's history. Ephesus was a fairly significant city to both the early church as well as the Roman Empire. 
to the Romans. It was the third largest city behind Rome and Alexandria. And it was also home to the great temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so for this city, uniquely, worship of this goddess was not just a matter of religion, but it was one of civic duty and pride. That was how you were a good Ephesian citizen. For the church, Paul passes through there, and we see this in Acts 19, and he ends up staying there for two years. And he starts off in the Jewish synagogue, as is his custom, but the Jews don't like him for long. And so for the remainder of the time, he teaches in a place called the School of Tyrannus while working with the house churches. And really, the Bible gives us just a few bullet points from his time in this city. The biggest one is that Paul manages to start a revival that ends in a riot. People who had turned to magic, which was very commonly practiced in the Roman world, ended up burning all of their expensive magic skulls publicly. And enough of the population seems to begin to ignore Artemis that the local silversmiths, who make money off of selling idols of Artemis to people, uh, started losing business, and so their solution is to riot. Now, with a few other things hinted at in other letters, it seems that Paul also spent time in prison in Ephesus and that he also faced intense persecution, even beyond the riot that we do find in the Bible. Now, afterwards, Paul leaves Ephesus, but on his very last trip to Jerusalem, he makes a point to stop by and meet with the elders of the Ephesian house churches. And this meeting is actually recorded. It's that important. Um, Later, when Paul is again imprisoned, his protege Timothy ends up pastoring in Ephesus as well. And then, should tradition be believed, the apostle John actually moves there and he brings Jesus' mother Mary to live with him as well. Then, to cap it all off, Ephesus is also one of the seven churches listed in Revelation at the end of the Bible, though it is accused of abandoning its first love for Jesus. So that's not great. Now, throughout its early history, the church of Ephesus, while facing intense pressure from worshipers of Artemis and this idea of civic duty, also faced significant division within itself between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles. In fact, this has gotten so bad that the two groups apparently began to refuse to worship together or even to speak to one another. And it's this division that Paul specifically has in mind as he crafts this letter that we find in the Bible. Now, in brief, Paul is going to focus on two things, and it's basically two halves of the, of the letter. The first is God's story, as in what he has done for us through Jesus and his spirit. The second, then, is our story and response to what God has done. Specifically, how are we supposed to live, particularly together as followers of Jesus? So, with that all in mind, we're now going to attempt the practice of reading like a very old dead Christian, where we're going to read Ephesians out loud, as a whole, and in community. Now, today I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, which is just one of many good translations. But I actually encourage you to leave your Bibles where they are and just listen. I've been practicing through this, so hopefully it makes sense. Um, Perhaps this is your first time with Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Maybe it's your hundredth or thousandth, but whatever your prior experience today, I just want you to listen. There's plenty of space left on the bulletin for you to write down things that stick out to you, things that you have questions on. And I also encourage you, if you dare, even expect God to actually speak through this letter again today. And so here is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, not through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. 
It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people because you know that the Lord reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. 
Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you continue to speak to us, even with words written thousands of years ago. Would you not let us be easily distracted from what you have spoken? That as we leave here and go this week, would your words find a place in our mind? And through them, may we know and appreciate your communication to us in a different way. Help us to know you better. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.